Welcome to Running Up the Score. I am Alex Kennedy. This is my show that airs every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Today, I'm joined by a special guest. He is a national NBA writer for the Washington Post. He is an author of a fantastic book, which I actually have right here. Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. It's a must read. He is also the host of the greatest of all pod, uh, greatest of all talk podcast. My guest is Ben Golliver. Ben, how are you? Oh, I'm great, Alex. Great to be with you. I remember going back what ten years now. Probably we've been talking hoops, so it's uh, it's great to be on the show. And uh, congratulations on the show. Yeah, thank you. It's crazy. I think you met me back when I was yeah, like uh, late teens, early twenties, which is kind of wild. It's been a very long time, but. I've always loved your work, and and I do have to say this. I'm not just saying this because you're here. You've always been one of the nicest people in this industry. Like you were always so cool whenever I was starting out. I've heard the same thing from other writers too. You know, you definitely have, like have a reputation as one of the nicest people in the business. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Look, I think I, I relate to you. We both kind of got it out the mud, right? It wasn't handed to us. You know, you're kind of just starting up on Twitter, trying to build an audience, and. You know, for me, I was writing at Blazers Edge, just, you know, kind of straight out of college, trying to figure out how I could cover the Portland Trailblazers. And you never know where the career is going to lead kind of one step after another. And you just kind of hope it goes in the right direction. And I think the people who really love basketball are the ones that kind of, you know, stick around and last and stick with it. And, you know, I kind of always felt like you're a kindred spirit, man. You love the hoops and and that will carry you through a lot, right? No, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we both had some of those early jobs where it's a lot of grinding and, uh, late nights and yeah, writing for, you know, different platforms and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's awesome to see. I mean, again, we were just talking before we started this, you're now five years at the Washington post, been doing great stuff. You're a published author. I mean, it's awesome to see the stuff that you're doing. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you joining me. I want to talk some about a lot of different NBA topics today, but let's start with Draymond Green, um, indefinite suspension. We saw what happened with Yusuf Nurkic, uh, comes just weeks after the Rudy Gobert incident. Um, now there's some comments coming out about how, you know, he needs to get some help and he's going to be in counseling. And maybe there's some things going on in his personal life as well that maybe we don't know about. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole situation? Do you think the NBA got this right with an indefinite suspension? Well, they surprised me because they basically never do an indefinite suspension for an on-court action, right? And if we just looked in a vacuum and you looked at that blow to Yusuf Nurkic's head obviously that's suspension worthy maybe one or two games if it was a random player right if it's Draymond Smith maybe he gets a one or two game suspension but clearly they can't look at this in a vacuum they're saying enough is enough Draymond and I actually think that you know people really ran with that quote from Nurkic about that brother needs help and I know it was a big meme on Twitter but he turned out to be completely right he called it Kevin Durant came out and said the same thing Draymond Green came out and said, yeah, everybody needs help. And Steve Kerr came out last night at the Lakers versus, or sorry, Clippers versus Warriors game, uh, you know, essentially saying like, we do have to kind of get some help for Draymond. So, uh, you know, whether or not it's a personal matter, whether or not it's just anger management issues or, or what it might be, we've seen an escalation in the types of incidents. They're happening more frequently and they're getting more serious, more violent on the court. So something, you know, obviously needs to change. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for him to just, you know, kind of go away for four to six weeks, right? Like, I think this should be an extended period of time. I'm not sure it has to be like seven months like John Morant did, right? But I do think it's it's something where you got to reset your whole life, kind of get your head back on your shoulders, understand that this could be a tough season when you return. The Warriors are not playing very well. They're outside the playoff picture in the Western Conference. You have to learn how to deal with that adversity better than just swinging your hands recklessly or putting Rudy Gobert in a chokehold. That's just not acceptable. It's bad for NBA business. And I think the indefinite part of that suspension 
gives the NBA a lot of cover in terms of stretching this out as long as they need it to be, right? Like if, if they came out and said it's going to be two months suspension, everybody would go crazy. But if we wind up and he's not ready to go after two months, then I don't think anybody would question that, right? It's just like, well, it's indefinite. He, he should be out for a long time. So I think it was actually kind of an elegant solution by the NBA. What'd you think? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was surprised as well at first because you're right. It is very rare to see that. Like the only time I really see like indefinite suspension is like if it's, you know, someone uh, failed like the anti-drug program or, or right. things like that. Typically then, you know, they have to be reinstated and it's indefinite um, or it's like a you know year long type thing. But yeah, I mean, I think they, they made it very clear in the announcement that this is because he has a history of unsportsmanlike acts that was in the press release. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's the Rudy Gobert incident was pretty ugly. We all saw, you know, what happened there. And even Draymond, I saw he had an interview with Ramona Shelburne and was like, I didn't realize until I went back and watched the video how bad it was. And like basically said he was seeing red and uh, didn't realize how long he was actually choking Rudy and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I think they sent a message like, look, you need to go figure this stuff out and you're not going to play until you can kind of get in compliance. And whether that's, you know, again, a certain amount of counseling or whatever, it sounds like they're, they're trying to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again. And I think by, by giving him an indefinite suspension, they're making it clear if something like this does happen again, you're going to have a really long suspension. Like you are on thin yeah. ice going forward. Cause I mean, after an indefinite suspension, what comes next? I mean, I'd imagine it'd be something very, very lengthy or another indefinite suspension that lasts, you know, significantly the longer season. than, right, right yeah, probably. like, yeah. right, I'd imagine. So, yeah, I think that sends a message to, like, look, we're not messing around. Uh, if one more thing like this happens, even to your point, if it's not something crazy, if it's just, you know, like a Nurkic-level situation where, again, typically we're talking about, like, a one or two, two-game suspension, it sounds like it's going to be, you know, treated as a very serious thing and he could be out for quite some time. But I'm curious, how do you think this affects the Warriors? Because as you mentioned, outside the playoff picture, they're 10 and 14 right now. So they're the 11th seed or not seed, but 11th in the Western Conference. This season's been pretty rough. And I've seen people on Twitter talking about, you know, how the Chris Paul experiment has failed. We see they're changing the starting lineup and just trying to kind of figure out something that works. Um, some people are like, oh, free Steph Curry. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of where Golden State goes from here? Yeah, you know, I got to see them play last night here in Los Angeles against the Clippers. They put up a pretty good fight. Clay had a really good game, probably one of his best games of the season, especially shooting the ball. I don't want to call them lifeless or like zombies, but it was trending that direction. This was not the typical joyous, we love basketball warriors that, you know, the Kumbaya team that we saw for five, six, seven, eight years straight there during their dynasty run, I think they realize they know they're in, in in deep trouble, you know, especially without Draymond playing. I think that they still have some chemistry concerns from last year. The whole plan was trade Jordan Poole. Everything's going to be fine. Well, that plan did not work whatsoever. And they just have some, you know, just from a basketball perspective, they're too small. They don't rebound the ball well enough. Um, they don't defend well enough, even with Draymond on the court. And, um, you know, they're relying on a lot of guys who are young and, and are going to need time to kind of find their way. You know, everybody loves, loves pods. I think Kaminga is going to have a bigger role here in the short term. Moody's given them some good minutes, but those guys are not Kevin Durant, prime Steph Curry from the 2017 years, right? So you really have to adjust your expectations. I would be surprised if they made the playoffs. I think the play-in tournament is possible for them, but I wouldn't be surprised actually if they missed that too. I just think the Western Conference is so tough and you've got to have great availability from your best players, you know, whether that's health or not being suspended. And then you've got to be able to match up with a lot of different types of teams. It used to be that Golden State would drive every matchup. You had to go smaller. You had to have the shooting to keep up with Golden State. 
And now they're kind of on the other end of the uh, the spectrum where uh, they got bullied by the Lakers in last year's playoffs. And they're getting bullied by a lot of teams so far during this season. And I just couldn't believe how many layups they gave up uh, against the Clippers last night. I mean, Norman Powell was just a parade to the rim. And it seems like that's happening a lot for them. So throw on top their turnover issues, which have been a problem. I just kind of think they're drawn dead, man. I, I don't see it for them this year. And I think it puts them as one of those teams you circle for the trade deadline. Is there a move they make to try to maybe cut some salary because their team is so expensive? Is there a move where they make, you know, Chris Paul, hey, this didn't work. Let's try to flip him for some other asset. I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of teams really interested in trading for Draymond or Clay Thompson, kind of given his contract situation and all that. But would they explore an Andrew Wiggins trade? These are the kinds of questions they have to ask. And maybe the, the responses come back, well, we couldn't really find a great deal, so they just do something minor. And, and that would be okay, too. But I think the biggest change here is the lowering of expectations. You know, this is not a contending team, and it's probably not even a playoff team. I'm glad you mentioned you know lowering the payroll because right now they have the the highest payroll in the NBA, two hundred and eleven million dollars. And we've it's seen crazy. Like, they, it is nuts. Like they've been willing to pay the luxury tax whenever they're a contender and and trying to like extend their their dynasty. But you know, paying that much money for a, a team that's outside the playoff picture, you have to wonder if ownership's going to be like what are we doing here, you know, and try to make some kind of moves to lower the luxury tax bill. And then also, I mean, it's not like it's going to go away either. Next year, they have one of the highest payrolls in the league too with $174 million. So, I mean, they, I could see them trying to make some adjustments. And, you know, for a while there, they were just trying to do whatever they could to keep contending and adding more championships. But, I mean, with how things look right now, it might be time to start focusing on the future and developing the young guys and, and cutting costs and kind of trying to build that next Warriors contending team. So, yeah, well, I'm very curious... The, the, to, to build on that, don't forget the new CBA rules was all about kind of trying to make it harder to keep dynasties. And who was the loudest team complaining about the new CBA <laughs> yeah. rules? It was Joe Lake up in the Golden State Warriors because it was going to make their life so much more difficult to keep talent and to actually keep paying that talent. This is a situation where, you know, they had so much fun during the dynasty years, but now the credit cards come and do right. And they're going to get hit with these repeater taxes and everything else. So this was uh, something they could probably have prepared for and planned for. But I think their plans really revolved around Draymond being that rock solid defensive player of the year type guy. When he's not out there on the court, the whole plan just kind of goes up in smoke, right? Yeah, no, well said. As a uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, by the way, here, I can I can relate. You know, we uh, we did the same thing in Tampa where it was loading up, uh, pushing void years back. And, and I think this year they have like $35 million or $45 million in dead money or something. And it was basically like, let's try as much as we can to win during the Brady years. And then who who are, that's a problem for future us. We don't have to worry about, you know, the, right. the tax bill down the line. And that's kind of what they're dealing with now with the Warriors. And obviously, I mean, if you ask any Warriors fan or anyone in that organization, I'm sure they would say it was worth it because, you know, all the rings that they won. Oh, yeah. But right, right now, it makes it tough for this season trying to, not only uh, field a contending team, but also like they're kind of stuck because of the big contracts they have. You know, they've kind of they went all in on this group, it feels like. So kind of making changes isn't going to be that easy. Well, Tom Brady throwing that trophy from boat to boat or <laughs> Steph Curry doing the night night stuff and, uh, you know, flashing his ring finger at the parquet floor at Boston. Those things are priceless, man. So you definitely don't regret it when you get to the top. And I think that uh, it's just about how do you manage the the backslide, right? Or, or the downfall yeah. of that. And how do you kind of get to a new group? I think one guy who never gets talked about with the Warriors right now uh, is actually their new general manager, Mike Dunleavy Jr. Um, you know, he steps in. Everybody knows Bob Myers. Everybody knows Lake. Everybody knows Steph. Everybody knows Steve Kerr. 
this is kind of uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr.'s opportunity to put his stamp on this organization and say, we're going to take this to a, a new era, right? We're not just going to try to carry on the dynasty because if you look forward to next year, I don't see any scenario where everybody's back, right? Like there's going to have to be some level of change. Yeah, I totally agree. It'll be interesting to see kind of what he does and how he can put his fingerprints on this team. Um, staying out West, I want to ask you about the Phoenix Suns because we saw they, they finally had their full lineup, their full strength. Um, you know, they've kind of been treading water until they get everyone back. Uh, you know, they've obviously been missing Bradley Beal, KD at times. Devin Booker was out for a bit, uh, but they're 13 and 10. Um, 10th in the West, right above the Warriors. This is a team that entering the season, a lot of people are picking to come out of the Western Conference or win the championship. What are your thoughts on this Suns team and what we've seen so far? And do you, I mean, it's tough to judge them because they haven't been at full strength. Um, But what do you make of this team and, and your thoughts on them kind of going forward? Well, I think they should be thrilled where they're at, honestly. I've seen them play probably five or six times already this season. I saw their two games with Wembenyama, and they yep. kept playing the Lakers over and over again. I feel like half their losses this year are to the Lakers, unfortunately, for them. Uh, and I would love to see the LeBron versus KD showdown in the playoffs, right? I mean, circle that one. That would just be incredible, right? Um, but they should be so happy because it's not just that Beal has had this back injury that never ends. Booker has missed a lot of time. And... This whole team was built around the idea of KD and Booker, and then, yes, you're adding Beal to it. But, like, the core of the group is KD and Book, and that's arguably the best one-two combo in the entire NBA. I mean, like, kind of right up there with Joker and Murray, whoever else you might want to throw in there. I guess Giannis and Dame would be in that conversation now, too. But KD and Book is a ruthlessly good uh, combination. And for a lot of these games, it's just been KD out there with a whole bunch of guys who were supposed to be bench players. And so... Uh, he has done a phenomenal job of carrying the offense as much as he possibly can, kind of getting them through this tough stretch. What I worry about is the burden that accumulated during that time period. You know, is it too many minutes? Is it too many late game touches? Is he pushing himself too hard where he's going to wind up having some injury issues uh, down the road? But it does seem like they've tried to get him some off nights here and there to sustain him as well as they can. But for them to be above 500, given how many absences they've already had this year is a testament to Kevin Durant's continued greatness Uh, especially when they've got a new coach and they've got some question marks inside with their defense and all that. I think the biggest issues for them, even once they get back fully healthy, is their offense needs to go to a much higher level than it's even been at this point because the defense is never going to be better than below average, in my opinion. I always think they're going to struggle with Nurkic and Eubanks and that front line, you know, just defending. They're always going to have matchup issues. They have to become a team that wins shootouts every single night. Like they got to put up 125, 130 every single night if they really want to have a deep playoff run. That's possible because of their offensive firepower, but they need to really kick it up now that they've got guys back healthy. Two of the coolest storylines in the NBA this season have been the Orlando Magic and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Right now, they're both in the third seed in their respective conference. Uh, Two young teams that I think people were excited about the young core. But there wasn't much talk about them making noise this season. Um, I in the preseason, this is going to sound like I'm like patting myself on the back, but I was picking them as like surprise teams, and I didn't think yeah. they'd be you know a top three seed. I, I was thinking they could be you know an eighth seed or fight for a playoff spot, maybe make the play in. You know, I thought there's a lot of talent on these teams, but they've exceeded all expectations, including my own. Uh, I've been so impressed with Orlando and the job that Jamal Mosley's done with this group, and just how well they're defending and the effort every single night and. Uh, you know, we've seen the Paolo Franz duo been, has been great. And they're doing this with Markel Fultz and Wendell Carter Jr. injured, which has been even more impressive, missing two starters. 
OKC, I, I love Chet. I, I love SGA. I mean, I, I think this core is so much fun. Obviously, again, with them, so much of the talk is about the future picks, but this current core they have is so talented and fun to watch. What are your thoughts on these two teams? You know, do you think, I have a hard time imagining they're going to be able to stay as like a top three seed in the conference, um, you know, just being young teams, but how for real are these teams and what are your thoughts on kind of what we've seen from them so far? Well, I always associate the magic with you because I feel like you were covering them back during the Dwight days, right? I mean, you've put up with yeah. a lot of tough uh, magic teams down there in Florida over the years and it's finally paying off. These guys are one of the most fun teams in the league to watch. And I say that because they're young and they play defense and basically no nobody plays defense anymore. I mean, the NBA's offensive explosion has just gone crazy these last couple of years. But Mosley should be the favorite for coach of the year right now because he has an incredibly young team playing super duper hard on the defensive end. I love Jalen Suggs. You know, he was a guy I was worried. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't quite reaching up to pre-draft expectations. And this year has felt like a breakout. He's got to be all defense first team this year. He should be in the conversation for defensive player of the year this year. We never put guards in that conversation, but he's been that good. And it's really given them a clear identity where you don't want to have to play them on any given night because they're just going to make your life miserable, right? Now, I think actually from a staying power perspective, like you were asking about, I think OKC could be a top three seed by the end of the season in the Western Conference. I think they can kind of do what Memphis did a few years ago in terms of just stacking up wins through consistent effort, great culture, lots of youth, um, and just you know a balanced offense where a lot of different guys are contributing. Um, the question to me, though, is would they become a regular season kind of cute story type team where they get to the playoffs sort of like Memphis and they don't have the deep run because they're a little bit too young? I feel like Oklahoma City should be buyers at this trade deadline, right? Mm -hmm. Like go at and, and make a swing. You've got a million picks you could throw at somebody. Get like an impact veteran to really juice your, uh, you know, juice your chances for this year. Like, they should be able to be, like, – they're one move to me away from being in the Western Conference Finals. But the thing is – Sam Presti is super patient. And that's actually something they share with that Orlando Magic front office. Super patient front office down there in Orlando as well. Would they actually want to hit the accelerator button or are they just going to say, hey, let's just ride this out and see where it goes? I kind of feel like they're going to ride it out and maybe they're going to leave something on the table this year, possibly. Because uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the Thunder to me are a scary team. Shake and close big games. They've got shooters. They play a great five-out style. So there's so much space all over the court. Jalen Williams can make you pay if you load up. And Chet, I feels like he hasn't missed a jump shot all season. The guy's just outrageously efficient from the outside. So they have so many of the winning elements that you need. I feel like maybe make a trade here. Go for it, Sam, uh, Sam Presti. But, uh, you know, he's not going to be listening to guys like us. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think that, you know, they could be pretty much any offer. Or actually, yeah, I think they, they if they really yeah. want to, if a player became available tomorrow, no team could put together the offer that OKC could. So, um, I think one thing that's interesting is that I, th I was reading Jake Fisher's article on Yahoo Sports earlier today about, you know, this, this trade notebook. And he was saying there's so few sellers right now. And that's going to yeah. make things interesting at the deadline because you have a lot of teams that feel like, with, especially with the play-in now, they feel like they're one piece away. So there's a lot of buyers and teams are less likely to kind of give up on the season because, oh, we can make a play-in game and make the playoffs. Um, so it's hard to find those sellers. Uh, I, I know teams are you know, looking at like Toronto and Cleveland and some of these teams that maybe haven't lived up to the hype or live up to like preseason expectations. But the fact that there's so few sellers could make it tough for some of these teams to kind of make a move. But I agree with you. I mean, especially OKC, I think they've been really impressive. And uh, I think it helps that both of these conferences, it doesn't feel like most years where there's like a ton of contenders. You know, it kind of feels like these conferences, aside from like the top two teams or three teams, uh, you know, other than OKC and Orlando, there's not a ton of contenders. So 
if you're a team like Orlando, you're looking at the top of the East and you're like, maybe we could go on a you know nice playoff run or you know, a team like OKC, like you said, maybe they're one piece away from Western Conference Finals, which is which is really interesting. Um, two teams that are young that aren't winning games, <laughs> uh, the Detroit Pistons and San Antonio Spurs. Pistons have lost 21 straight. The Spurs have lost 18 straight. I guess, which team are you more concerned about uh, going forward? I mean, I, there's been talk that the Spurs aren't even really trying to win games. Like, they're kind of doing the uh, Seattle Sonics playing Stealth Russell tank. Westbrook at yeah, like yeah. whenever they're playing KD at point guard, uh, like yeah. for that little period. And it was like, are they really trying to win? You know, uh, yeah. you know, we've seen like Jeremy Sohan at point guard. Some of the experimenting they're doing, it kind of feels like half tanking, half just like, let's not really care about the wins. Let's just develop our guys. Whereas Detroit, it kind of feels a little bit different. Uh, so I would probably say I'm more concerned about Detroit. But what are your thoughts? Like, oh, which yeah. situation is worse? Okay. I wouldn't put them in the same category, actually, because this is year one for San Antonio with Wembenyama. Right. Detroit's been in a five-year rebuild. I mean, they've been terrible for five straight years, right? So, and like to the point where um, they've tried, you know, different uh, high-level lottery draft picks. They've tried making trades for guys. They've done this and that. And like nothing has really gotten them out of that muck. They they paid Monty Williams all that money. When you do that as a coach, you're expecting to turn the corner, right? right. And then they're turning the corner to nowhere. So I definitely am more concerned about the Pistons and the Spurs you know, I, I saw four of the Spurs' first five games because I was kind of tracking Wembenyama around for a story. They haven't won a game since I saw him play, which was like more That's than a wild. month ago. It feels like three months ago. So I do feel bad for the San Antonio Spurs, but I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. Their offense is so bad, and it's almost intentional. Like this idea of Sohan playing point guard or like letting him be a lead playmaker, I don't think that's ever going to work, right? And I don't know if they're ready to concede that after a month, but he's clearly not the solution. If they wanted to win more games immediately, they would trade for a veteran point guard, right? And right. at that point, their offense would no longer be 30th in the NBA. Wembenyama's life would be a lot easier. They'd probably be winning a lot more games. So I think they're uh, doing a good job just taking it patient. Now, with Detroit, I don't think they have the luxury of patience, right? Because you look up and down the roster, these are guys who need to be showing more development. Cade has been underwhelming. Jaden Ivey is getting benched. Like, you know, that shouldn't yeah. be happening. Uh, Jalen Duran, I think he's had some injury issues recently, but you want to see more growth from him. And then all of the flyers they've taken on Marvin Bagley, uh, you know, James Wiseman, like those things have not flown. Like those have just crashed and burned, right? And so uh, they got some real roster issues. I think Troy Weaver's on the hot seat for the Pistons for sure, because, you know, I don't know what he points to as something that's really been a hit for him. And keep in mind, he got there, I think, four years ago. He immediately turned the entire roster around as soon as he got there. He flipped the entire roster. So these are his problems. He can't blame it on his predecessor. This is his team. These are his draft picks. And I know it's kind of a a busy front office there because they've got Arn Tellum and an ownership group. So it's never just one person. But um, I think anytime you're losing every single game for a month with no end in sight, you have to think about some real fundamental changes for the team. Yeah, I was tweeting something the other day. Their last win was October 28th, so like before Halloween. It's just kind yeah. of crazy to think about how many games in a row they have lost. Uh, and I don't think there's really an end in sight. I mean, maybe they win a game here or there, but they're going to be yeah. one of the worst teams in the NBA this season. Pretty yeah. I, by far. I was, I, hearing some, I was hearing some guys yesterday saying that they were going to, uh, some league people saying they were going to take up a, a bet, a pool, on when the next Pistons win comes. And somebody threw out saying, oh, they're going to play Utah pretty soon. And the other guy said, there's no chance they're going to beat Utah. <laughs> so it's like, if you have no uh, chance against Utah this year, you got you had some real serious problems, right? Yeah, that says a lot. Um, I want to ask you about two teams in the East that uh, are struggling a bit, not quite as bad as Detroit, but 
the Cavaliers are 13 and 12. They now have, uh, they're going to miss Darius Garland for the next few weeks. He has a fractured jaw. Evan Mobley's been out with his knee issue. Uh, and then you have the Raptors. They have been struggling as well. There's a lot of people, a lot of executives are kind of circling the Raptors like vultures, trying to take Siakam, OG, uh, Gary Trent Jr. There have been a lot of rumors about, you know, will this be the year that Toronto blows it up? Uh, a lot of times in the past when that's been, you know, rumored, it really hasn't happened. You know, we saw they didn't trade Kyle Lowry. Last year, all the talk was about Toronto and they actually made a buy, a buyer's move going out and getting Jakob Pertl and that surprised everyone. Um I guess, what are your thoughts on these two teams? You know, do you think Cleveland is going to be okay? They just have to get healthy? Um, or are you concerned about the Cavs? And then for the Raptors, I guess, where do they go from here? Do you think they should blow it up and kind of go young and build around Scotty Barnes and some of these young guys? Or I guess, what, what do you think about the state of these two teams? Would you kind of lump them together? Well, I'm not sure if you saw this right before we started taping. They they announced, or I think it was reported anyways, that Mobley's going to undergo knee surgery. And I think he's going to miss like maybe two months. Oh, so wow. between that and Darius Garland, we're talking about the Cavs on the worst day of their season, right? <laughs> like, because both yeah. of these things happen within 24 hours, they're, they're starting to feel like a curse team, right? So, um, yes, I'm definitely concerned about them. This is going to all go on to Mitchell's back. I mean, Mitchell has to have one of those like all NBA first team level month, two month stretches to just kind of keep them afloat. And I think the questions about his future are hanging over this team, right? Like people don't know, does he want to be there long term? Is he going to try to go somewhere else? Um, and, and so this could backfire in a big way. To me, the biggest concerns about Cleveland, even when they're fully healthy, they're too small with the guards and their bigs are like, quote unquote, too big, right? Like they don't stretch out in space enough. And, and Mobley to me is better as a four than a five. So they just have a lot of weird lineup fit issues with the two small guards. And then these big guys who really aren't true spacers, um, they could still be a team that, you know, potentially wins a playoff series. I thought they probably should have won a playoff series last year before they kind of fell on their face against New York. But I think those kinds of lineup issues are going to hold them back from really joining the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. And if you're not a true contender, somebody like Mitchell is going to be asking questions about, is this the long-term home? So I think they have to be really nervous. And these injuries just kind of uh, you know pile everything on top. I mean, this is a, a tense time for the Cavaliers and certainly a team to watch now before the trade deadline, right? Now, in terms of the Raptors, I, I'm with you. It's like, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times. How many times can we get uh, ramped up and excited about OG and Anobi trade rumors, the Pascal Siakam trade rumors? You know, Masai set the tone for the season coming in, saying we were too selfish last year. We didn't play for each other. And there were some changes. You know, Van Vliet leaves, you know, Scotty Barnes, bigger role. But they still have an awful lot of guys who aren't natural playmakers for their teammates. And I think that they need to go out there and find some uh, you know, players who are you know, true playmakers and maybe not just guys who are being cast in that role. I'm not totally sold Scotty Barnes can be that do-it-all playmaking forward. Uh, but I do think you could probably clear out some of these veterans and give him a little bit more of an opportunity to experiment, to try sort of like the Bucks did with the young Giannis and just kind of test the limitations of his game, see where it can kind of go for you because – this current group, this mix isn't good enough. It's not as good as they probably hoped and thought it would be. You've already changed the coach. So I think it's time to start changing the players. Yeah, I agree. One team that's been linked to Siakam and OG is the Sacramento Kings. There was a report today from Jake Fisher that uh, if Toronto is going to move one of those guys, they want Keegan Murray back. Um, and there's a few other teams that were kind of linked. I think Indiana also came up as a suitor uh, for, for those guys. Um, those are some of the buyers that are looking at, you know, for a, a OG or a, or a Pascal. 
Um, what are your thoughts on this Kings team? Do you think we see them make a trade? Because uh, that was another thing that Jake wrote, that they're looking to make another Sabonis-type move where it kind of helps them in the postseason. They can go on a deep playoff run. Um, you know, hopefully not giving up a Tyrese Halliburton-level player right. this time. But thoughts on the Kings and maybe what they do going forward? Well, I mean, that Sabonis move from, from the Sacramento standpoint, it ended their playoff drought and it brought so much excitement. I was at those first couple of games. I was actually at uh, game seven as well of that playoff mm-hmm. series against Golden State. What an incredible scene, Alex. I mean, that's one of the most fun things I've seen in the last 10 years of just how crazy those fans were going. So we can all sit around here and say, well, what about Tyrese Halliburton? Right. And they're going to say over there like, well, yeah, I mean, it was still worth it Pay for off. us because, uh, you know, Sabonis kind of delivered that playoff run. It's interesting to me because they gave Sabonis a lot of money this summer and they've, they're have they on the, the books for a lot of money with Fox as well to try to go out and make a trade for another expensive venture or a guy who's going to have to get you know a, a big salary when you have a player like Keegan who's cost controlled on that rookie contract. That's where I start to question whether that makes sense for Sacramento because they have never been a team like the Warriors or some of these other huge, huge spending teams to really like, you know, kind of go all in there. So I think the finances have to factor in to some degree with Sacramento because in this NBA, you typically you can only have two, maybe three star level guys on big contracts before you start to get into, you know, really tricky situations financially. So um, I guess I'll believe it when I see it, if they're able to kind of make another big trade like that. But I liked the idea that they're going to at least look to be aggressive because I thought they missed an opportunity last summer, you know, just bringing back Harrison Barnes, rolling it back with the same group. A lot of times when you have that big uh, improvement season, you need to really make a big addition to keep that momentum going. Otherwise, you risk coming back to earth a little bit. It does feel like they've come back to earth a little bit this year. And uh, maybe they could have, uh, you know, used their financial flexibility that they had last summer to a greater effect. But look, water's under the bridge. You can only do what you can do. I just wouldn't be in a big rush to trade a guy who's productive and growing on a rookie contract. I'd be saying, hey, not that he's untouchable, Keegan Murray, but I would be driving a really hard bargain for a Keegan Murray trade. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, One player that's been mentioned in trade rumors nonstop is Zach Levine, but it seems like there's not a ton of interest or a big market for Levine. I know Woj has reported that. Jake Fisher reported that. It seems like the teams that get mentioned the most are like the Sixers, the Lakers. Uh, but Jake Fisher said that the, the Sixers aren't really interested in making a move until close to February. Um, and it seems like a lot of teams are maybe scared off by Levine's contract. The fact that he hasn't really led teams to the playoffs and had that kind of success, like his numbers haven't translated into wins. What do you make of this Levine situation? Uh, because I'd imagine at some point, maybe, oh, there was the report too that the Bull, that uh, the Bulls asked the Cavs for Darius Garland. And like, I'm sure the Cavs, you know, laughed at that. So, I mean, it (laughs) seems like they're valuing him much higher. Like their asking price isn't really realistic. So either their asking price has to come down or I guess they can hold on to him and hope that some team comes calling and meets their asking price. But what do you make of this Levine situation? Because it seems like they don't have the interest that maybe they thought they would have had. I think it's a really interesting microcosm of the current NBA because everybody can score now. You know, you just see it around the league. There's so much space. There's so many talented on-ball scorers. If your best skill is scoring, you have to be elite, elite, elite scorer, or you have to be this two-way player where you're a major impact guy on the defensive end as well. And I think with Zach, he's a good to very good scorer, but he's not one of the best scorers in the league. And defensively, he's been a minus and a guy who you're trying to cover up for his entire career. That's a big reason why he hasn't had any postseason success. So I think that you know his contract significantly exceeds what his actual value is because there's so many other guys who can kind of do the things that he does. 
I also don't think he's done himself any favors here over the last month or two, right? The whole incident with the PR lady blowing off the interview. Uh, you know, I think he's been missing some time here and there. It doesn't yeah. seem like he's been super bought in when he's on the court. You know, he's just kind of walking around off ball sometimes. And then is he even impacting their wins and losses this year? They kind of look like the same team when they don't have them, right? So you add all those things up, the big contract, the kind of the questionable buy-in, uh, you know, some of the, the the concerns about the defense as well. And I don't see a huge interest in, on or who would have a big need for that. The one team I would circle, I'd start at the most desperate team and say like the Pistons. Like, would they be able to talk themselves into getting a guy who's just a proven scorer, can go out and get you 25 every single night and help space the court around Cade? Would they find some interest in a, in a, in a player like uh, Zach Levine? I think that maybe that's already been denied. I'm not totally sure, but it has to be that level of a team, right? That just has nothing else going on. Who would be willing to take a risk on Zach? Last question for you. There's been a lot of talk and criticism of Zion Williamson lately. You had the report that came out. I think it was Christian Clark of the New Orleans Times said that uh, they've been on him you know, a lot about his diet and conditioning, and he just hasn't listened, uh, which is interesting because entering the season, David Griffin was saying for the first time he's kind of locked in and, and doing those things, but it seems like that was short-lived maybe. Um, so it seems like there's a lot of frustration in the organization about Zion. I know like JJ Reddit came out and said like he just hasn't bought into his own career and isn't doing the right things. Um, I think Shaq and Barkley also were critical of him. There's been a lot of negativity surrounding Zion lately, and I know he's kind of addressed it and, you know, brushed it aside. But thoughts on Zion, the conditioning issue, and then also it's led to some questions about his future. Like, does he want to be there? Is he just kind of checked out? Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of Zion and his future? Well, I think two main thoughts on Zion. First of all, people are criticizing him so sharply and so severely because his talent level is so high and because the hype was so big coming in the NBA. People just want to see him fulfill his potential. And they're kind of at the point now after it's been four or five years where they're just trying to poke and prod and do whatever they can to get the best version of Zion to come out. What I think is really important, my second point would be, look, put aside the conditioning issue. This guy has had a series of lower body injuries, right? Uh, yeah. And serious ones, ones that have kept him out for a long period of time. He does not move as well as fluidly as he did when he came into the NBA or when he was at Duke, uh, especially on the defensive end, right? Like he just does not, he doesn't have the energy level to close out. He doesn't have the quickness off the dribble. You see people kind of blowing by him or targeting him in one-on-one -on -one scenarios. Physically, even if he was in perfect condition, I'm not sure he could move the way that we will all want him to move to really be able to reach that uh, full potential. And so I think that part gets overlooked in this conversation about is he eating too much and all these other things that people say, like, you know, some of this stuff could be beyond his control and it could be frustrating. Now, that being said, I think most everyone would agree uh, you got to have great habits to be great, you know, and you look at LeBron James just in peak physical condition in that in-season tournament taking charges on Zion, blowing yeah. by Zion, just, you know, running circles around the younger Pelicans guys. And you're thinking, how come Zion, this former number one pick, a guy who was being compared as hyped as, oh, one of the next LeBron type players in terms of attention and interest and being able to dunk and all that kind of stuff. How come he can't live up to that, uh, to that standard that LeBron is setting, even though he's almost 40 years old and yeah. there's no answer to that question, right? There's just no way around it. Like he's not doing it. It hasn't gotten done. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been unfortunate. I, I've certainly been disappointed by the first uh, few years of Zion's career. I had really high hopes for him as a player. But I do think it's important that everybody just kind of ramps this back down a little bit. It's getting too personal. It's getting yeah. a little bit too intense. And we got to acknowledge that there's been some serious health stuff that's getting in his way as well. 
Yeah, for sure. The LeBron comparison is interesting. Uh, I had CJ Miles on the show earlier this week, and he was talking about just how in awe of LeBron he is. And there was like, mm. you know, I know Maverick Carter has said that he spends $2 million a year on his body, whether it's, you know, cryotherapy, hyper, hyperbaric chambers, and like treatment and conditioning. Those are like the number one things he won't. That's, I know players, uh, and sleep. Is, yeah, and sleep. That's the big one too. Like Iman Shumpert has talked about it. Like, you know, if, if he doesn't have his treatment done, he's not going out. He's not doing anything. Like yeah. treatment and sleep are like the top priorities. And then you can see, I mean, and he doesn't have to do that. I mean, him, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, like you look at the greats, you know, throughout NBA history. And like, even when they're at their their peak and the best player in the league, they're still working extremely hard, have the right habits, getting the right, uh, you know, doing all the right things basically. And I think that's what separates those top elite greatest players type and players who just have the natural talent, maybe don't do the work. But you're right. Some of it is also hard. Like, and I have a hard time blaming Zion because, you know, he has had injuries. Uh, his body is different. I saw there was a video on Twitter blowing up about like his, like looking at his college highlights and he does look like a different player. And so you're right. People are frustrated because they miss that Zion. But like, there's also so many factors here, like genetics and other things too, that, you know, affect you know, your metabolism and your weight and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I have a hard time. I'm sure he's in a very tough position where, you know, he's a guy in his early 20s that like the whole world is talking about his weight. That's got to really suck. He has a contract clause that basically says if he weighs in at a certain weight or has like a certain BMI, he loses like significant amount of money. Like, I don't know. I think some of that stuff is really difficult, especially like on a guy's mental health too. Uh, when you combine that with the criticism, especially and I mean, I know people are going to be like, oh, well, that's what you sign up for when you're an NBA player. And, you know, that's what he's getting paid for and all that. And I get that. But I don't know. It's a very tough thing. Like, I, I always kind of feel bad whenever I see the criticism. And like Stephen A making these comments like, yeah, would, all these chefs in New Orleans can't wait to see Zion. He eats the whole table and talking about his belly and stuff like that. I don't know. I just, it kind of feels weird to me. And I do feel a little bit bad for him with everything that's kind of out there. I think he's handled that kind of stuff pretty well, too. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't duck away you know he takes the questions he'll try to say what he can say I mean at this point he knows his play has to do the talking I think the most important thing for people to realize about the Pelicans too they're deep athletic and talented they're a good team they could be yeah. a team that gets a top six seed in the Western Conference and it doesn't need to be like Zion and the Zion heirs right like Michael Jordan and the Jordan heirs it doesn't have to be like that this could be a team concept where he balances with Ingram Trey Murphy steps forward potentially as a third star. You've got CJ McCollum locked in as a guy who's going to give you 18 to 20 every single night. Like th this can be a balanced group. Herb Jones, arguably the best perimeter defender in the NBA. Like this team can win a lot if Zion is on the court and playing well, not necessarily yeah. elite, but well. And so I think anybody who's coming out of that in-season tournament semifinal disappointed in their effort, I totally agree. They just laid down. It was ugly. I was there in person. I couldn't believe it. It was the Lakers' biggest win in 12 years, Alex. 44 yeah. points. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that's like a complete outlier, right? But um, that is not indicative of who they've been all season long. It's a better team. They've been getting some momentum recently, especially with uh, you know some of these guys getting back healthy. And I think they could be a force in the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to win a series, but I think they're going to be a top six team in the Western Conference. And it's the whole burden is not on Zion's shoulders. And I hope that people down there in New Orleans are telling them that. Like, you just yeah. be a part of this team, right? Like You don't have to be the face of this team. And good things can still happen. Yeah, well said. Well, I could chat with you for hours here. It's always fun picking your brain, talking basketball. Uh, I appreciate you joining me. Everyone, make sure you guys not only listen to the Greatest of All Talk podcast and read Ben's great work at the Washington Post, but as I mentioned, this is a fantastic book. goes behind the scenes, inside the bubble. Check it out. Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. 
Ben, thank you so much for your time, buddy. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I wrote that book in 2021 is when it published and it already feels like 20 years ago. You go back and read some of the stuff that we were dealing with during the pandemic. It's going to feel like a, a different universe in outer space. So if, you, if people haven't read it, give it a read. Crazy, right? Time flies. But yeah, I mean, it's such a great look at, you know, what that was like inside the bubble and everything. It's a, it's a really fun look at that time. Um, and I know a lot of the players have spoken out since about the bubble and just how crazy it was. And LeBron has talked about having like PTSD every time he goes to Orlando. So, I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> look at what that was like, because that's a very, I mean, we're never going to see a season like that again. So I love that you chronicled yeah. that. Uh, very interesting. Uh, but everyone, make sure you guys follow Ben at Ben Golliver. Check out his fantastic work. And if you guys want to listen to more episodes of this show, you can watch on Twitter, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, running up the score every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Until next time, thanks for watching.